This is Heather Vickery with the Brave Files podcast, and you are listening to Pop Goes Your World. I'm Chris McBrien, and the pop culture from Generation X is everything to me. And I'm Derek Myers, and I'm here to educate Chris on the great pop culture of today's generation. Episode 129, Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Movie Review. McBrien, along with Derek Myers, who we affectionately refer to as Caveman, and this is Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. You'll find Derek on Twitter at Amaron underscore DM, and you'll find me on Twitter at C McBrien. Remember, McBrien is I-E-N, and popgoesyourworld.com is our website with all of our contact information. And if you listen to the show on iTunes, please take a minute and leave us a review while you're there. Derek Myers, what is going on in pop culture in your world, my friend? Hey, Chris. Um, I've had a chance to revisit a couple of movies I really enjoyed over the past week. Nice. And I got a chance to see the uh, season premiere of the TV show Westworld. Season three oh, started yeah. this week. Okay, yeah. I it st- was. I, I started that fantastic. show. I watched yeah. three episodes of season one. I gave up on it. I didn't like it. But you're saying season three, you're, you're in it. It's good. Season three, super good. Fantastic. Nice. It's uh, my only real criticism is the, uh, if I remember correctly, it's the writer and show's creator, writer and showrunner uh, of Westworld. It's the same guy or the same people that did a show called Person of Interest that was on like maybe seven or eight years ago. Yeah, it ran that, for a I while. I think that had, the, I never saw it, but it had the guy from Lost in it that played Ben. If I remember yes. correctly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, anyway, that it, that show was really good in and of itself. Um, and it was about like a thinking computer that, that they used to help people who were going to be in jeopardy. The computer basically was able to predict something bad's going to happen to this person and you have to go and help them. And um, this Westworld obviously is about, uh, you know, a theme park where that has like semi-intelligent robots that can do stuff. So it's starting to get in that whole idea of like the AI and and what can the AI do? And is there good robots and bad robots? So I was talking to a friend of mine about this earlier this week and he said, you know, I like Westworld a lot. I like where it's going. But he's like, I've kind of already seen this in person of interest, which was by even some of the same creators. So he's like, I hope they don't just go down the same road that we already saw them do in the previous show. But we're only one episode in uh, to what I believe is a 10 episode season. So I've got high hopes. Uh, and this show, the production values are so good. The, the cast is great. I'm really interested to see where this is going. I really, really enjoyed the the first one. And the two movies that I uh, that I revisited this week, mm. uh, one of them was is called Yesterday came out last year. Do you, did you ever have a chance to see this one? I didn't. You mentioned it last week that you, uh, that you watched that one and it was uh, like just recently you watched it and it, it sounds fascinating. Yeah. The, uh, you know, it's a sort of a what if story where a guy gets into an accident early in the fir- early in the movie. And, uh, when he wakes up, nobody has ever heard of the Beatles. So he uh, decides that he's a pretty talented musician in and of his own right. And he passes off their songs as his own. <laughs> so, yeah, I think I was watching this last week just before we, we started the podcast and then I finished watching it not long after. And so I've been listening to the Beatles music all week. I, I enjoyed the movie. I thought it was great. Um, upon, Subsequent viewing, I didn't necessarily think the ending hit as well as it could have. It's like they didn't really stick the landing, but there was enough to like in it that I definitely was happy I saw it again, and I will certainly rewatch it again down the road. The other one I saw is one of my all-time favorite movies, 
The Matrix. Oh, wow. Yes. Yancey loves that one. I have seen The Matrix. You'd be proud of me. I am proud of you. Matrix is a great movie. I love it. Uh, Again, I guess I must have like the the whole supercomputer on the mind this week, but it was on television. um, And it was funny because I turned on the TV and it was sort of halfway through and I thought, oh, okay, I like this part. I'll watch the rest of it. And I did. And then like that would have been like probably at lunchtime. And then around dinner time, I turned on the TV suit was on and on the same channel, I guess they were looping a few different things that day. And it's like coming up next, the matrix. And I'm like, well, I might as well start watching it from the beginning. <laughs> so I ended up watching the first half. So I watched it in its entirety, but I watched the second half and then the first half. And, and I enjoyed it that way just as much as I enjoy it the normal way. So, we, yeah, we did that uh, before you came on the podcast full time. <clears throat> when Yancey was still here, we reviewed that show. And that was one of the shows he nominated. It's like one of his favorite movies of all time. It's fantastic. Yeah. There's, yeah, there's very, good. very little to dislike about The Matrix. Yeah, no, I, I was one of the movies that was nominated on the podcast that I actually enjoyed. So yeah. Go figure. What's going on with me? So obviously we've been, you know, sort of in our house a lot lately. So I've been here with the kids and we, you know, we can't get out. I'm working from home, you know, with everything that's going on right now. So I've had, had the opportunity to play a lot of board games with my kids. So one of them, I wanted to say thank you to you, Derek, because back at Christmas time, you gave me and the family here for Christmas. You bought us the Bob Ross Joy of Painting game and we play it every single day. It's a, it's a very complicated game. It's supposed to be like 12 plus, but my kids are seven and 10 and they both get it and they love it. My seven-year-old all the time, daddy, can we play Bob Ross? I'm like, okay. So we play Bob Ross all the time. But another, another game that he asked for at Christmas time was my seven-year-old really likes Monopoly. So he asked for this Monopoly voice banking game. So the idea is it's got this top hat and then you turn the top hat on. It's like electronic. And then what you do is instead of actually handing out money and playing the game, you just speak your actions and then it records them and it records all the transactions of the money there. But the thing is, let's just say the technology is not quite perfected yet. So what will happen is you'll go to buy a property and I'll, I'll land on a prawn. Let's say, let's say I, I start off and I roll and I, I land on Vermont and I land on it and I'll say, push the button. I'll say, buy. And I'll say, what property? And I'll say, Vermont, you just bought Ventnor Avenue. And I'm like, no, I wanted Vermont. So or then I'll land on another property that I have to pay rent on. And you push the button and say, pay rent on Pennsylvania. Your opponent does not own Park Place. I'm like, oh God. So I just hate playing that game. I hate it. So now my my, my youngest son is like, can we play Monopoly voice bank? I'm like, no, I don't want to play it. It's awful. But we played a lot of board games and card games and everything else. But I wanted to thank you once again for Bob Ross, The Joy of Painting. It's such a great game. That is one I certainly enjoy playing. Well, you're very welcome. I'm glad the kids enjoy it. And I'm sure the wife appreciates it because I'm sure you take the boys in the other room and play it and you give her five minutes to herself. We do. And or, some, or she so, plays it with you sometimes, I assume? Yeah, sometimes she plays with us too, quite quite often. But sometimes I'll play with the boys too, just to give her a break. You're right. And then uh, the other day I said, let's let's put on an episode of Bob Ross. So we went in the other room and we watched a bait, this winter scene, and they just were mesmerized by it too. You know, it just transcends generations. That thing, nice. That's for sure. So yeah, no, we've definitely enjoyed playing the board games. Another thing I've really enjoyed doing that we've been hunkered down is doing podcasts. So what do you say we get started on this week? Absolutely. All right, let's go. 
try left. Black guys help the white guys. Hari Krishna, Hari Krishna, Krishna. Death before disco. Disco, yeah. Should have called him the dork. I'm better than you. I can do whatever I want. It's like going into Wisconsin. You just broke my force field. Yeah, well, I got the sh- kicked out of me in Wisconsin once. Forget it. Yeah, you win. Son of Okay, so this week it was over to me. I got to nominate the film. I went back to Gen X like I always do, because that's all I know. So I went back to 1988. Derek, you had never seen the movie that I nominated, which was Who Framed Roger Rabbit? You had never seen this movie, which is great. Great place for us to start. I nominated it because I wanted to see if this movie held up. We're going to kind of get into this tonight. We're going to get in the weeds with this movie. But I mean, when it came out at the time, it was sort of a groundbreaking movie in terms of you know, technology. And now with all the CGI and everything that we have going on in filmmaking, I wanted to relook at this movie and see how does it hold up. And so it's just fascinating that I'm able to get somebody who has never seen this movie. And I want to know because you love all new movies and with your perspective on this, I'm dying to know. So um, give me just a, an overview. Obviously, this movie was directed by Robert Zemeckis. Uh, Produced by Frank Marshall, which is great. And it was starring Bob Hoskins and Christopher Lloyd and Charles Fleischer, just as a bit of an overview. Uh, Had a budget of $50 million, which was a lot, obviously, back in 1988. And it made just over $156 million, um, you know, which made it uh, the highest grossing movie in 1988. And uh, we'll take a look at the box office in a bit. But I want to just touch base uh, with you on this movie. Well, you never saw Who Framed Roger Rabbit. What did you think? So I, you had prefaced it in the end of the last show, just like you did now, how you wanted to see if it held up because it was uh, groundbreaking in the sense of animated characters and live action characters on the screen together uh, in a cohesive story. It wasn't just like, hey, the guy has a dream sequence where suddenly there's cartoons. It was like full on interaction with fully developed characters on both sides of it. Um, and so from that point of view, I could certainly – Uh, appreciate it and recognize its significance but overall i did not like this movie oh really okay yeah i didn't uh i I think the real question for me i kept struggling with was who is the target audience for this movie because it seemed uh it was if it was for kids you had the, the a lot of like humorous style slapstick cartoony humor which certainly i would think would appeal to children but yet some of the story elements seemed a little adult for a very young audience and some of the the like the whole idea is it's a mystery who framed him and they're starting like the guy's a detective so he's trying to put the pieces together and i think for young like a really young audience they're they're not really going to understand they're not going to be able to put a to b to c to d to come up with the outcome and on the other side for grown-ups it's like i knew who framed roger rabbit uh like really early in the movie and i was able to figure all that stuff out so i'm thinking okay well this seemed really easy to figure out so it can't be for me. And I found that some of the cartoony stuff just seemed a little bit too too silly or goofy. Um, and the 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 dialogue from some of the characters just it like I don't know, I had a hard time I don't want to say taking it seriously because it's supposed to be a comedy, but it just seemed out of place. I had a real hard time sort of figuring out like is this appeal to, is this a movie for really young kids, for teenagers, for like people in their twenties, thirties, for grown ups. Uh, like I got the sense it was supposed to be a bridge for all of those groups, but in my mind, it really just wasn't hitting on any of them. No, I, I get it, and that's fine. Let's come back to that in, in in a little bit because I think you bring up a good point. I I want to touch base on who this 
who the audience is for this movie. I think it's important that we take a look at this. But, you know, you mentioned you didn't like it, but I'll tell you, when it came out, it was a critical success as much as it was a hit with audiences. It was nominated for seven Academy Awards. It won four. Um, so it was it was a big hit when it came out. I actually watched this movie on Disney Plus just last week. I saw this movie originally when it came out in the theater. So I, and I even I owned a copy on VHS for you know many years. So I've seen it a lot of times. But last week was probably the first time I'd seen it in a long time. Now going back to this movie, I've mentioned this before on this podcast. When we look back at these older movies, I always mention how important it is to take into consideration the time in which the movie came out, and that's definitely something I think we need to, to kind of go in with this movie and have a framework of here because. When this movie was released, you know, it was considered a major achievement in film. Even though, like, live action and animation had been done together before. I mean, heck, they've been doing this in movies all the way back to Song of the South. But the way that the actors interact with the tunes, as they're called, it was so interactive. And it involved, obviously, a lot of work from a production perspective. I'm sure we'll touch base on that more as we go through this podcast. And... Another thing that we often talk about when it comes to these older movies is, is like I say, the degree to which it, the film stands up. Now, you don't think this film stands up, right? Well, I, I mean, I think obviously the technical achievements mm-hmm. stand up. I don't feel the, the movie like if you're just watching it to say, wow, look at how great. The, these cartoons interact with these people from a from a like we always joke and say, Chris, you're giving the textbook answer. If you're teaching a class about animation, for example, I think this would be a shiny example of how to do it right. And I was reading some of the notes, and it said like they did things in this movie which were not typical in the past, where you had characters and cartoons interacting uh, together, where they were like moving around. You didn't just have a like a steady camera in one place, which had often was often the way they had done it in the past. You had uh, particular attention paid to, to uh, light source and shadow, where as the camera was moving or light sources were moving, the shadows of the animated characters would would be moving in such a way that it, it made sense. So, you, you you know, it certainly took advantage of, of what had been done before it and, and brought it to the next level. And, and you see this with a lot of Zemeckis' films, right? Uh, you have it with – even with Back to the Futures 2 and 3, you see it in uh, – in this movie, you see it in Forrest Gump a, a ton. You see it a little bit in Contact down the road, um, uh, you know. And then he does Polar Express and Beowulf. Both have a lot of computer uh, animation. So it's like it's obvious that he's keen on doing movies that have this uh, animated style and take advantage of the technology. And certainly, I don't knock that at all. But the the plot, the story, the 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 way the story came together, I I, I just yeah I didn't care for. It. I don't felt it. I didn't feel it held up. Okay, but you felt the technology and it does hold up, even with CGI. Given for, given for its time frame, mm-hmm. absolutely. Like yeah. you look at this and you could say like, wow, look at what they've done. And then you look at something like Attack of the Clones versus say Lord of the Rings, which came out only like a year or two after, and you're like, wow, Lucas should have been embarrassed with how some of his stuff looked compared to how hot on its heels. Peter Jackson stuff looks so amazing. Uh, with this one, you look at what came a little before it or a little bit after it, and you're still going, "Wow! Like this is this is the high watermark for this kind of uh, uh, animation and live performance over overlap." Mm-hmm. So yeah, from that point of view, I give it the kudos it deserves. And you said it won some Oscars. I suspect it was for those kinds of technical achievements, and that's great. Absolutely earns it. 
But, you know, like, I'm sure nobody in this movie got nominated for a performance. I don't think it got nominated for a best script, a best screenplay, a best picture, a best director. No, no. Uh, I mean, it, I don't what, think it uh, but I don't think it's the kind of movie that normally would get those things anyway. No, it wouldn't. It wouldn't. Um, You're right. It, it won for best visual effects, uh, film editing, sound editing and um, a special achievement Academy Award as well. Um the thing is, though, I think that I want to just go back to because you mentioned like you'd never seen this movie before this, which is interesting to me because you're a huge movie buff, just like I am. And like I say, this is a big hit that was considered groundbreaking when it came out. So I'm a bit surprised you never had never seen it. Like, did you ever have a desire to see it or was it just not never something that was on your radar? No. Well, I'll tell you why. I'll tell you a big part of why I never saw it was I, I remember seeing the trailer and the character of Roger Rabbit just seems super annoying. And so I thought, uh, that's that's going to bug me. And sure enough, when I watched it uh, this week, that character was super duper annoying. And I just kept thinking to myself, oh, my God, like if this character was toned down half of what he was, I probably would have enjoyed the movie more. Um, and again, I think it's they made the character the way they made the character to appeal to, say, young children. He did a lot of goofy, zany, cartoony things that you would expect a cartoon character to do to get laughs out of little kids. And. It's like, well, make up your mind. Are you trying to be a movie for little kids? Are you trying to be a movie for grownups? Are you trying to be a movie that sort of straddles the bar? And it's just felt it swung too far in, in either direction at some mm -hmm. times. Um, so, yeah, no, I, I, I just never had any desire to see. I don't, I'm not a big fan of, uh, uh, is it Bob Hoskins? Is that his name? The, yes. The lead? Yeah. I'm not a big fan. Of, I mean, I've seen him do some great things, but I'm just not a big fan. And other than him, I didn't know who else was even in the movie. So when I saw Christopher Lloyd show up, I'm like, hey, look, Christopher Lloyd's in this movie. Uh, and then I remembered, oh, yeah, Zemeckis did the Back to the Future movies. They obviously had a pre-existing relationship. Mm -hmm. So he's like, hey, I'm going to have my friend Christopher Lloyd be in this movie. That made sense to me. Um, but, uh, yeah, other than that, it's like I'm not a fan of Bob Hoskins. I'm not the, – the character of Roger Rabbit looks super annoying in a two-minute trailer. I'm like, no, that movie's not going to be for me. Well, a couple things about the movie I want to talk about just from a technical point of view, the cinematography. I thought the camera work was great in this. You've touched base on this um, or just a, a little bit ago. Like When you mentioned about the camera moving around, it could have been just so much easier for them to just keep the camera still for most of the shots. Would have made it a hell of a lot easier to animate the, the tunes in place and choreograph everything. But instead, the camera moves around a lot in yeah. the scenes, which I thought was really, really good. And the other thing is, there was no CGI, obviously, back in 1988. There's no computers that they had to, you know, that they could tap into to accomplish the final product. It's just the work of animators hand-drawing characters into a movie frame by frame. So regardless if you think the movie holds up or not against today's technology, I think there's definitely no denying that this movie is a major accomplishment. And it's also, for me, when I watch it, it's like it's like a labor of love. You can just tell the people that worked on this movie love movies and they love movie making. You can just tell it comes through in it. Yeah, I agree. And it's not just an accomplishment of movie making. This movie, to me, is entertaining as hell. I, I know you said they thought it was boring and stuff. No, uh, disagree, disagree on that one, but okay, that's well, just... Yeah. But let's start with the opening scene. And I don't know how to explain that opening scene other than saying it's, it's almost exhilarating. It's craziness on a level of some of the old Bugs Bunny cartoons, but it's like kicked up a notch, probably several notches. Like that, that uh, Something's Cooking, the Maroon cartoon starring Baby Herman and Roger Rabbit. To me, it's a tour de force of hand-drawn animation. And when the baby breaks character after the scene and starts chomping on the cigar and telling off the director, you know, you realize 
this is different. You know, this this kicks the movie to a different level. Bob Hoskins, you said you didn't like. I disagree. I thought he was great at this movie. Now, he's originally from England, and he talks with a natural British accent in his, in his regular life. Uh, but obviously, he uses an American accent for the role. And I don't know why it is, but I've always found it interesting when British actors use North American accents. I don't know what it is. I, I think sometimes we think of it sort of the other way around. Like, like we, we think of, I've always thought of other people having accents. But I'll tell you what, in my travels around the world, I've often found that people think the way they talk is normal. And they always say, I'm the one with the accent. Like, I, I remember one time I went to Florida and people were like, I don't have an accent. You have an accent. And anytime I've been around the U.S. for business and stuff, I think I think of Americans not having an accent. You know, like I, they have to put on an accent to get a British role. But there's lots of British actors who use an American accent. If I think of Andrew Lincoln in The Walking Dead, Gary Oldman, Alfred Merlina, Jude Law, you know, the list goes on, right? But I thought Bob Hoskins did it very well here. You'd swear he grew up in Los Angeles. I don't know why you didn't like him in this movie. I thought he was great. Well, it's not so much, it's not that I didn't like him. It's just that I, uh, it's not that I didn't like his performance. I just, I'm not a fan, excuse me, I'm just not a fan of his work. And honestly, until you mentioned the accent, it never occurred to me that he wasn't using his real voice. Um, Again, I, usually I'm pretty blind to that kind of thing. It, it doesn't bother me if a character's got a, an American accent, a British accent, or whatever. Like with Game of Thrones, almost all the characters spoke with a British accent, you know. And then you have Peter Dinklage who who spoke with his normal American accent. I'm like, didn't phase me at all. I, I like I, I can get over that when I you know when I'm watching a movie, I can get uh, um, like in 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 just engaged in it so much that I can just sort of block that out. It's like when you watch a movie with subtitles. After 20 minutes, you don't even realize you're reading the subtitles. And that was the same I find with accents a lot of times. It might unless it's being done very poorly or it stands out as being completely out of place. And usually I, I I'm just yeah, whatever. Let's go on with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Charles Fleischer, I want to mention too. He was the voice of Roger Rabbit. He was also on Laverne and Shirley. I remember him on that show. He was in like the later episodes, like after they moved from Milwaukee to Los Angeles. He played Chuck. He was Laverne's boyfriend. And he was also Carvelli on Welcome Back, Cotter. But I'm, there's another Laverne and Shirley connection that I want to mention because one of Judge Doom's cops, one of those rats, you know, remember the, the rat cops? was voiced by weasels they were weasels Weasels. i'm sorry it was, it was david lander i recognized it right away i was watching this, i'm like that's david lander that's squiggy from laverne and shirley but anyway back to the movie itself like i mentioned the opening scene and when roger's leaving the set and the director's threatening to fire him and roger's like grabbing at the guy's jacket you can see that they would have had to pull the jacket i don't know with like fishing line or something yeah you know and you can tell just right away the amount of choreography and the logistics it would take to make this movie, like scene by scene and frame by frame, like so much work went into pulling this thing off. But as for the movie itself, I just want to get into it a little bit. It's obviously Hollywood in the 1940s where tunes and people coexist. And, you know, Eddie Valiant jumps on the back of the streetcar with these kids and they give him cigarettes. And we'll get into a few other things in the film. We've already mentioned a few already that give it kind of that mature edge. So we'll come back to that. I I don't know. I still think kids can watch it. But uh, Joanna Cassidy was another cast member. You mentioned you didn't know who any of the cast was, but she was Dolores. You obviously didn't recognize her, right, Caveman? No, I did not. I had to look her up and I still didn't recognize her. She was in Blade Runner. 
She was the replicant that did the nude scene and ran through oh, the plate glass the windows. Yeah, the, the girl with the snake. Okay. Yeah, I yeah. Saw her, like she looks a little familiar. I look at her up and I, I like I thought, well, maybe I need to see a picture of what she looks like now. And I'm looking and going, I don't know who this is. Now I do. Yeah, so there you go. And um, so the next scene, Eddie Valiant goes into this back alley where there's like sliding slot on the door where he has to give a password to get in. So it's a speakeasy or a booze can, whatever they call it, which reminded me, I was watching the movie and it reminded me of this time when I was in university, not to get, you know, too personal. But I remember there was one time I was, um, I did a lot of acting when I was in university and stuff and I fell in with this crowd. And I remember we went to a a, a speakeasy one night this guy took me he's like we got to go to this place and we did the same thing we knocked on the door and this thing slid open and the guy said blah 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 whatever and this other actor that i was with gave a password and we went into this place and like i would never go to one again it was pretty scary but the one in this movie is just it's hilarious you got donald and daffy duck playing pianos and there's just so many things going on in that scene it, again it would have just been so much work to do and then Jessica Rabbit comes out and does the musical number where she's doing the burlesque act. And obviously she's a tune, but her breasts were pretty prominent, you know? And I like how she says, I'm not bad. I'm just drawn this way. So again, I, maybe we'll come back to this now. Is this movie for kids or for adults or both? What do you think? You came into it fresh. You, you kind of touched base on it a bit. Who is this movie for? Well, I think if I had to guess based on... My experience, I would say that they were trying to make it for everyone, and I think they failed making it for anyone. Like, mm -hmm. I think every group is going to find some things they like and some things they dislike. For me, I just found too many things in it I disliked or wasn't interested in. Um, I didn't I didn't feel it really hit the mark for me on anything. There, I found, aside from admiring its technical achievement and recognizing its place in cinema history. I, I really didn't find a lot of other things that I liked about this movie. I wanted to let my 10 year old son watch this movie. And my wife said, no, the movie had a PG rating when it came out. But then my wife went and looked up somewhere online that said, if the movie was made today, that it would be PG 13 or even have an R rating. I disagree with that. Yeah, I don't think the R rating. There wasn't any real sex, violence, blood. The violence is cartoon violence, which in today's culture is is something your kids have seen. They watched the Avengers movie. They've seen more violence than that already. I agree. I mean, Bob Hoskins, like I mentioned, gets cigarettes from kids. Uh, Jessica Rabbit is basically the embodiment of sexuality. And there's some violence, like you mentioned, but that does not constitute an R rating. You know, I don't think. Yeah. But I, I definitely uh, agree with the idea that it probably would be rated PG-13. Like, I don't think it would get this, the, the family-friendly PG that it got back then uh, based on uh, if it came out today. Yeah, and, and yeah, that's just me. Yeah, and that's what my wife said. She said PG in 1988 is much different than PG today. You oh, know, for sure. And I and yeah. I think she's probably right. Uh, but back to some of the scenes, the, the, the gorilla bouncer then grabs – Eddie and throws them out in the alley and they didn't have those wire fighting gear like they did in the matrix you know that you mentioned earlier they didn't have that then like so just how do they pull some of these scenes off again I thought it was pretty cool so then Eddie goes and spies on Jessica having an affair with Marvin Ac Acme and the implication is sex but they're playing patty cake which I thought was kind of funny yeah and the cop comes and then tells Eddie that Marvin Acme is 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 dead like a safe dropped on his head. And I recognized the cop because I'm like, that's the guy from Top Secret with Val Kilmer. He was Nick Rivers' agent, just an aside. And then the lieutenant I recognized from Star Wars. 
I recognize him right away. He was the guy that Vader choked out in the meeting room on the oh, Death Star. Geez. Remember where? Remember Grand Moff Tarkin says, "Yeah, Vader yeah. I know the scene. Yeah. I just I don't remember the guy. Yeah, I remember that guy. Another aside. And then I thought it was interesting that they mentioned dip was turpentine, acetone, and benzene. I don't know which. Why. I assume those are things you would use to clean animation cells. I, I don't know. I, that's yeah. a good point. I, I got to think I got to think that was, again, sort of a little inside. There's a lot of I looked it up after there's a lot of like inside jokes. Uh, like you had said before with the speakeasy, the password was Walt sent me implying Walt Disney sent me. Right. Good um, point. You know, a lot of little things. And then I also read that. So you mentioned with the dueling pianos with Daffy Duck and uh, and Donald Duck. Mm-hmm. I was reading that be- this is the only time that you have Warner Brothers and Disney characters uh, featured prominently in the same movie at the same time. And um, apparently through contract negotiations, the two companies wanted to make sure that their characters had equal screen time and that one company didn't have their characters featured more prominently than the other. So whenever any of like the major, major characters are featured, they're almost always paired up with somebody from the other company. So you have Donald Duck and Daffy Duck dueling pianos, almost exactly the same screen time. And then later when he falls, uh, when Bob Hoskins in the cartoon town and he, he falls out of the building and there's the two skydiving, it's uh, Bugs Bunny and Mickey Mouse, again, together, same amount of screen time. And at the end of the movie, you have Porky Pig and Tinkerbell given the sort of final farewells. So, you know, again, it's some of these little wink-wink things that you may not pick up on originally, but when when you start to dig in, there was, there was a lot of uh, interesting trivia behind the scenes as to why certain things were done certain ways. Well, we mentioned before about whether or not it's for kids or adults. Another scene that kind of sticks out was when Eddie comes back to the apartment and baby Herman is there in a stroller in the hall and there's the woman leaning over him. You see her butt sort of prominently displayed, we'll say. And baby Herman makes a comment about her when she walks away and he says, oh, yeah, yeah, he's like, the problem is I got a 50 year old lust and a three year old dinky again. This is probably the inappropriateness my wife was talking about. Maybe yeah. she, maybe she's right about let me, me letting my 10-year-old watch this. But um, then I thought it was interesting when Roger cuffs himself to Eddie. And again, when you think about to pull that off theatrically with the mix of the live-action animation, I don't know. I watched it from a different lens. I was like, this is, this is impressive. And going back to the inappropriateness, Eddie puts Roger in his jacket and goes to see Dolores. And she says, is that a rabbit in your pocket? Or are you just glad to see me? Yeah. Again, probably kudos to my wife. She may be right about this whole thing. I don't know. Um, so one thing we always ask, could they make this movie today? Derek, what are your thoughts on this? Well, I mean, they certainly could from a technical standpoint. It'd probably be a lot easier to make it today because of the advancement with computer animation and green screen and motion capture and all of that stuff. So from that point of view, the the straight up can they do it? Yes. Now, I think they would have a hard time getting the licensing. I think that, um, you know, having Warner Brothers and Disney sign off on it, there's there's too many dollars to be made that neither company would want to share with the other. So I think that would be a big problem. I think you would have to have one studio have some exclusivity around there. Um, But I think that you would need you would need a compelling reason to do it. Like, again, I didn't find the plot to this movie all that compelling. Like the movie's called who framed Roger rabbit. And it's like, I didn't really feel there was a lot of mystery around that. Um, so I don't know. I, the story you would have to, you either have to have very compelling characters, which I didn't feel this had, uh, or very compelling story, which I didn't feel this one had. Um, and you could certainly gain some additional credibility by having big, well-known actors with with great pedigree sort of in the lead roles 
But at the same time, if I'm somebody who's, you know, the hottest thing right now, uh, do I really want to be in a movie where I'm sharing half the screen time with an animated cartoon character? Because there's, it's been done a lot and it hasn't always been met with success. This one is sort of the exception rather than the norm. I think if they did make it today, <clears throat> one thing they'd have to, to do differently for sure, Bob Hoskins would have to wax his back hair. Yeah, that was a little bit uh, <laughs> uh, unnecessary. And, you know, the, the, the hygiene was not the same, you know, back in, in, in the 1988, obviously. Yep. Um, a couple more things just about the animation and the, the live action that I, I like. The scene when they're in the bar, when Roger's entertaining all the barflies and he's smashing the plates on his head. Again, so much would have went into it. Like the plates are real. The set's real. Yeah. You know, the stools and everything. And then the whole scene of driving around in the tune cab. Yeah. To me, that's what movie magic is all about. Like it's memorable. I don't know. It's just so fun. It's just so much more theatrically impressive than any CGI crap that's out now. And I'll tell you, when Eddie goes through the tunnel into Toontown, I remember, like I mentioned, I went to see this in the theater back in 88, and I remember watching this in the theater, and that was a really big moment. The audience loved it when he went through there. They, they had this visceral reaction to, to the whole scene. It was just funny. I don't know. Times have changed. A couple of, you mentioned a couple of um, other, you know, tunes that were in it, you know, from different uh, studios and things like that. I, I, I recognize Betty Boop was in there. Droopy was the elevator operator. Mickey Mouse, Tweety Bird, you know. I, I thought like, one, one uh, line that I thought was interesting was when Eddie says to Jessica, he's like, what do you see in that guy? And she says, he makes me laugh. Makes me laugh. I, yeah. I don't know. I thought it was pretty good. Um, the, the weasel reaches into Jessica's dress and gets snapped by the bear trap. And Eddie's line yeah, is, nice booby trap. Uh, I thought, again, like that... That kind of behavior, even with the animated characters, is a little dated. There, mm -hmm. there wasn't as much of it in there. And, and again, you sort of forgive it because it's animated. But that's some of those things. If they were to, to remake a story like this, they'd have to be a little more uh, sensitive to today's political correctness, even if they are animated characters. I mean, you look at something like Simpsons and Family Guy. A lot of times they can get away with saying things or even South Park. They get away with saying a lot of things simply because it's it's coming out of the mouth of a of a cartoon character or a, you know like in South Park they're little kids saying these outrageous things or in Family Guy it's the dog saying it so yeah i think i think that would certainly be top of mind for any sort of commentary or any of those little rude wink wink kind of jokes uh, if they were to remake it what about the warehouse scene at the end did that did you enjoy that in any way I thought it ran way too long. Yeah. It just kept going and going. Like by then it's like, okay, I know where this is going. I, I know how this is going to end. I can, I you know, I mean, I had figured it all out. I don't think I'm uh, uh, like I, normally I, I like to think I'm a pretty astute film goer. Like I usually pick up on the clues and stuff. But this one seemed just like really obvious banging over the head with it again because I, I think they were trying to appeal to kids. So they were trying to make it a mystery where – Nobody in the movie knows what's going on, but you as the audience, wink, wink, you know. And I just thought it took forever to come to a resolution. Um, and yeah, like I remember what, looking over at the clock going, wow, it's like I, I looked up the runtime and I was like, there's like 25 or 30 minutes left. What are they going to do? And it's just the scene kept going on and on and on. Didn't care for it. Didn't like it. Didn't I, like I'm the maybe the ending will save this movie for me. No. See, no. I like I like when, when Eddie went into the vaudeville shtick. And he makes the tunes laugh themselves to death. 
because that whole warehouse scene, there was so much going on with the, the dip cannon and the sword fight, that, that singing sword with Sinatra's voice and the, that old cartoon standard with the giant magnet and the Acme steamroller and all that. And then you find out Judge Doom is, or Judge Doom, he's really like a tune and not just yeah. any tune, right? Obviously, he's the high pitched voice and the red eyes guy that killed Eddie's brother. Yeah. So I like how they shoot him with the dip and he starts to melt. And then his line is, oh, what a world, what a world. Like the Wicked Witch of the West. I, don't, yeah. I thought the movie was a lot of fun to, to, to go back and watch. I, I really enjoyed it. I, I think it stands up. I also heard that they're currently in production of Who Framed Roger Rabbit 2. Uh, well, uh, if they are, great. But, I mean, I haven't heard anything. I, they're not going to get my money. They didn't no. get my money on this one. They're not getting my money on the next one. Uh, I'm also going to be pretty reluctant to give them another two hours of my life. Yeah, Who Framed Roger Rabbit 2? You know what I think of you know sequels, especially you know now, this all these years later. Needless to say, I think it's a terrible idea. Uh, what do you, So you're going to rate this movie pretty low out of 10? Um, well, again, if we're looking at technical achievement and importance as a film, I'm probably going to give it like maybe a 7 or an 8. But overall, like, would you recommend it to your friends? No. Would you recommend it to their kids? No. I'm going to give this like a five. Okay, I think I would give it a seven overall, and I'm just a little bit more surprised that you didn't like it better, just because you're such a movie buff, just for kind of where it kind of fits in, you know, in the overall sort of perspective of films and accomplishments and things like that. I just, I thought you might like it better, but that's the way it works around here. I don't like your movies, you don't like my movies, that's what we do. That's how we do it. But on that note, what do you say we have some fun with Caveman? Okay, so it's over to you. I made the movie pick. So uh, what have you got for me from a trivia or a fun uh, point of view? Yeah. So before we jump into that, I just want to point out. So I'm looking at uh, Robert Zemeckis, the director of this movie. I'm looking at his filmography here. And it occurred to me that this is now the third Zemeckis movie that's been reviewed on this podcast. Uh, you and Yancey did Contact and Back to the Future before this. Did you not? Uh, yes. I didn't know that he did. he directed Contact. Yeah, so this would be his third one on the list. And I'm looking, sort of going, would there be any? He also did Forrest Gump and Castaway, both movies I love. So maybe some point down the road we may do one of those. But uh, He's a pretty good director, obviously. He's a very good director. I'm looking at his his list here, and it's like, I've seen a lot of his movies. And the ones that I've seen, for the most part, I really enjoyed. Um, But uh, yeah, so anyway, that was just a side note. I thought I would bring that that up. Okay, so uh, as we've mentioned here, uh, we're going into the trivia part. this is not the first time that you've had a movie with live people and cartoons interacting. There, okay. And there have certainly yep. been movies where you have people live action and then it will like cut to a to a cartoon. So like I even said in, during the, the conversation a half hour ago, sometimes you'll have like a character falls asleep and there's a dream sequence and the dream is all animated or something like – or the guy's watching a TV show and suddenly the TV comes to life within the set and it's very contained. But – um, we have had some some good and some not so good examples of animation like this where they interact, directly interact with the live performances. Some good, some bad, some memorable, some forgettable. I've got a few here and I'm going to ask you some questions and, and you've got to try and figure out which movie we're talking about. Oh, this and ought to be these, interesting. <laughs> these are movies that have actual cartoons interacting with people. Okay. Okay. Yep. All right. There's there. Some of these are super easy, super obvious, super right on the nose. And, and I'm gonna be some I'm going to have no idea. Them. Yeah. Uh, but I found a few that are a little more challenging or I tried to play with the wording a bit to maybe try and just mask a tiny hint 
Uh, and most of these are older because the newer ones are all computer. And I tried to stay away from that because I wanted ones that were actually cartoons, old school drama cartoons, not computer cartoons. Okay. So with that in mind, nice, easy law ball right over the plate for you on the first one. You ready here? Sure. Go for it. Tell me the name of this movie. A magical nanny employs music and adventure to help two neglected children become closer to their father. Uh, oh, it's Mary Poppins. It is indeed. Yes, yeah, yeah, there's like the penguins and stuff. Yes. Yeah, so yeah. 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 Easy one. Nice easy one. Okay, here, here's another relatively easy one. Cartoon characters recruit a minor league baseball player to help them win a basketball tournament. Oh, is that that's one of Yancey's favorite movies of all time, Space Jam? It is Space Jam. Yes. Wow, really? This is his favorite movie. Yeah, uh, he loves that movie. I remember him talking about that over yeah, and over. Yeah, the whole the, the whole joke was that the 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 at this point in real life, this was took this was from 1996. Michael Jordan, he, arguably he, the yes. best basketball player ever, had retired from basketball and decided he wanted to be a baseball player, and yes. that's that's worked right into the premise of the movie where all the best basketball players of the time are are turned into animated monsters to play for the bad guys' basketball team, and then the heroes are like. Well, Michael Jordan wasn't taken because he's a baseball player now. So right. it, it with the Chicago White Sox, I remember I had his, I, I, his upper deck card. Yeah, yeah. I honestly don't remember the specifics, but uh, I, I remember seeing Space Jam when it first came out because I was working at Blockbuster Video around that time. Saw it once. It's much like this movie, I'm just like, meh, okay, whatever. Didn't really care for it. Not my jam. Uh, no pun intended. All right. Uh, I've never seen this movie, so this question it comes right out of the research from the IMDb, so hopefully I've got it right here. All okay. Right. The title character's wish to become a fish is granted when he falls into the water at Coney Island. With the help of his underwater friends, he helps the U.S. Navy locate and sink Nazi U-boats in 1941. I remember this was Don Knotts. It was the it was. incredible Mr. Limpet. Yes. That, yes, I remember that. I remember watching that on TV with my mom when I was a kid. She was like, oh, you got to watch this movie, son. And we watched it. And I thought, it, I thought it was pretty dumb, but I remember, yeah. I remember watching it with my mother growing up. Yeah. All right. Uh, this one may be a little more difficult for you because it's a little newer, but you have kids. So maybe you've seen it. Okay. The animated title character and his best friend leave home to track down a stolen crown. A memorable encounter with David Hasselhoff was featured prominently in the movie's trailer. Name the movie. Oh, this almost seems familiar to me, but uh, I cannot think of it off the top of my head. Um, I don't know. It was the SpongeBob SquarePants movie. Oh, yeah. I do remember that now. Yes. Okay, next one. This one I think you might get. It's a little older. Okay. An orphan boy and his best friend, Elliot, who is a larger-than-life cartoon character, move to Maine and live in, to live in a lighthouse. Don't confuse this movie's title with the well-known Peter, Paul, and Mary song. Is that Pete's Dragon? It is Pete's Dragon. Yes, yes. They, didn't they remake that again just the last couple of years? And I was like, no, no, you got to go back and watch the one from the 70s. Honestly, don't remember. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. This is a little bit of a longer question. I'm going to ask you to name two movies. To get full points, I need both movies answered correctly. And I honestly think you're going to miss both of them. <laughs> I, I shall do my best. All right. In 2001, that's why I think you're going to miss this. In 2001, Brendan Fraser played a cartoonist who comes face to face with his own animated creation after suffering a head injury. Two years later, 
Brendan Fraser starred alongside Warner Brothers' most recognizable cartoons and a tremendous cast of character actors and comedians. Name both movies. George of the Jungle? Nope. Nope, neither that I'm wrong on both. Okay. <laughs> I have no idea. Okay. Hey, this was a little bit of a tough one. I thought one of them you I thought you would get for sure. That's why I threw the two parter. So the first one is called Monkey Bone from 2001. Never heard of it. The second one is from 2003, Looney Tunes, Back in Action. Oh, I've heard of that one. Yeah. yeah. And that I figured you might have said like the Looney Tunes movie, which I probably would have given you. But anyway, no marks on that one. Sorry, pal. Yeah. Okay. This one I think you're going to get. An apprentice witch, three kids, and a cynical magician uh, search for the missing component to a magic spell that's to be used in the defense of Britain during World War II. One more time. Uh, uh, uh. An apprentice witch, okay. three kids, and a cynical magician search for the missing component to a magic spell that's to be used in the defense of Britain in World War II. I have no idea. It was from 1971. It was called Bedknobs and Broomsticks. Oh, I've never seen that movie. I've heard of it, but I've You've never seen it. You've heard of it, though. Yeah, yeah I remember yeah. seeing it as a kid. Yeah. Okay, last question. Mm-hmm. This is one of my uh, – this is a movie I enjoy uh, more so for the, the soundtrack than the movie, but uh, – Animated bombshell Hollywood, played by Kim Basinger, transports a cartoonist into her animated world with a scheme to seduce him and bring herself to life. Her nemesis is the only other human among the cartoons, a lawman played by Brad Pitt. I've never seen this movie, but I've heard of it. Is it isn't it Cool World? It is yes. Cool World. I've cool never world seen had- it. A super amazing soundtrack. It was awesome. The movie was just so-so. I remember, I just remember it in my mind of being like live action and cartoon mixed together. Yeah. 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 Never, never saw it though. All right. That was pretty good. Uh, You got... You got most of them. You only missed a couple. And, yeah, the uh, Brendan Fraser one really got me. I didn't know. Yeah, that, one that was sort of my 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 whole card. I didn't think you were going to get that one. Sorry, but I had to throw a couple of newer mm-hmm. ones in there because some of our listeners would have actually known those movies, including probably anyone who worked with me at Blockbuster, because that's the kind of crap we watched back then. <laughs> there you go. All right, so next show, it's it's over to you. It's your movie. Do you have a movie that you would like to nominate for me to watch? I do. The oh. movie I want you to watch okay. is called Memento. Memento. Uh. You know, I don't have the details in front of me. I want to say it was from 2000, if I remember correctly. And the director was Christopher Nolan, who went on to do the Batman movies. Have you ever seen it? I have never seen it. No. Okay. I want you to watch it. Mm -hmm. Do not look up anything about this movie before watching it. Don't look up the runtime. Don't look up who's in it. Don't look up anything. There, there is a lot of mystery in this movie and a simple internet search may ruin some of the, the, the biggest mysteries in its synopsis. So, if you can find it on your streaming services or download it, watch Memento. Come back next week. We'll do a review. I'll do that. The only thing I would say that I know about Memento is that for some reason, I've, I think I've heard that it's really trippy. But other than that, I don't know anything about it. Like, I mean, well, I know. Come I know. back next week and we'll, we'll talk more about it. I don't right. want to say anything because I don't yeah. want to ruin any of it. I hope you enjoy it. And the less you know going in, I think the more likely you are to enjoy it. Okay, that's what I'll do. I will I will avoid any type of uh, research on it in any way, and I'll just go in and watch it and tell you what I think. 2000, though, it's a while ago. It's 20 years ago, you know, so I'm liking it. Uh, but it's not 
you know, 40 years ago, which I like even better. Go figure. Uh, but okay, so that's what I'll do. I'll watch Memento and we'll come back next time and we'll review that. Uh, if you want to reach out to Derek, like I mentioned at the top of the show, you can find him on Twitter at Amaron underscore DM. You will find me on Twitter at C McBrien and popgoesyourworld.com is our uh, website with all our contact information. You can send us an email. Until next time, this is Chris McBrien for Derek Myers saying thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. Thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World. You can contact Chris and Derek at popgoesyourworld.com. Please take a minute and review the podcast on iTunes or wherever you download and listen to the show. 